0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Into the Burrow podcast. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host today. And we've got quite a bit of exciting news to cover. Now, I want to start first with uh, our usual little chat Uh, channel updates, uh, podcast updates, things like that. Um, We've got some pretty exciting stuff happening behind the scenes. A couple of things that I'm working on specifically, one of those things is to try and make this podcast efficient. To where I can do it by myself and bring guests on occasionally. Um, We're working on that still. I'm in talks with a couple of different people about possibly hosting with me. Um, So that's exciting, and I can't wait to get the ball rolling on that stuff. Um, But until then, it's just going to be you. It's just going to be me. But that's okay. Um, Now, you will often probably hear me throughout the podcast, um, maybe make some gaffes, struggle to talk a little bit. Uh, I was sick over the weekend, um, which is kind of why this podcast was delayed a little bit. I um, started off on Thursday. My throat was just a little bit sore. I didn't quite know what was going on. And then fast forward to Friday, you know, I sleep, I wake up, and I'm feeling a little woozy. Uh, feeling a little woozy here, um, but uh, I I started off the day just fine. I got my cup of coffee. I sat down on the couch, uh, did my usual routine, waking up and everything like that. And then as the day progressed, I started to get more and more sick. And uh, it wasn't like um, it wasn't like a nauseous sick. It was more so like uh, I was a little bit dizzy. I didn't quite know what was going on. And so what eventually happened was I had to lay down for a bit, and then when I woke up, I felt like garbage. And then I did have nausea. I was dizzy, lethargic, couldn't really move, couldn't really talk. Um, I was just waiting for someone to come take care of me. If that was death coming to take me out, I probably would have been okay with it on Friday. But anyway, we we fast forward later into the evening, and I have a fever of 102.7, um, and it's, uh, not going away. Um, if anything, it was likely still rising. So, uh, I'm almost, you know, concerned enough to go to the hospital, especially amidst all this pandemic stuff, um, with COVID-19. And like, you know, I, I, I made it through without, um, I just took, uh, a lot of, a lot of pain medicine, um, because I also had a migraine. So my head was throbbing like crazy, um, um, And, uh, my throat hurt and I was starting to get a little bit sick, felt a little nauseous, hadn't eaten, um, and it was just all around a really bad deal, uh, took some NyQuil, passed out at like 10, um, and then I woke up at like 11 or noon the next day, uh, still feeling a little bad, still, um, have a little bit of a fever, I think I was at like 98, Uh, But it was much better. Basically, I took a warm bath, Uh, took a really warm bath, um, just killed my fever, threw up a little bit, uh, slept on my bathroom floor for a few minutes, and then uh, and then I went to bed. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Friday was kind of an experience. And uh, I had had actually like, um, meant to get the podcast out that day. Uh, Before I took a nap, I took a shower, I shaved. Um, you know, I was kind of going through all of the typical, like, hoops, uh, that I would take on a very productive day. Um, I started doing some chores, I did the cat litter, did things like that, and then I sat down for a little bit, which I should have just recorded the podcast, but my throat was killing me. Luckily, today is a little bit better. Um, I have a cup of tea right by me, some peach juice, uh, water, we're all good, but, um, I, I probably would have died about halfway through that podcast. So kind of uh, for the best, if you ask me, um, that we're here right now. Now, um, amidst all of me being sick on Friday, I also got an email from my advisor basically stating that I couldn't take the summer class anymore because no one had dropped it and um, the enrollment period had passed. And then uh, that day, actually, uh, a seat opened up, um, or maybe i i don't know what happened but somehow there was one seat open and i still couldn't get in so you know what um that's fine and then i also got my uh my summer aid package which was not going to cover the cost of tuition at all uh because they got it to me super late um with everything going on i understand like the financial aid office being like really really behind Uh, Still kind of annoying, but it wasn't going to cover the cost of financial um, or cover the cost of my tuition for the summer. So I decided it was best to just go in the fall where I wouldn't have to pay for anything and I could just use grants. Uh, So that's what we're going to do. Just two classes left. Take them in the fall. I'll probably try and do one online and then one in person. There's a really rad like Saints, Witches and Madwoman course that's taught um, under Women's Studies and like History, I believe in which we're just looking at, uh, basically, um, you know, women and women's rights through the, through the decades, through the centuries, um, you know, at different points uh, with them being labeled, you know, mad or witches, um, all of that to just try and understand, you know, where that hysteria came from. Um, a lot of it's probably institutional, but that's for a different podcast. Uh, that is not what we're going to do today. Um, but that's a really cool course that they offer at night on Tuesdays from like five to seven, I think. Um, so I think I'm going to do that one class uh, every week and then I'm going to do a class online and we're going to call it good there. Uh, so I'll, I'll graduate in December with my degree. Congrats me. Yes, I know. Um, What a weird way to end my last full semester, not actually in class. I mean, I had my capstone. I had everything this semester, so it was a little bit jarring for me not to continue doing that. But, uh, you know, I think all in all, it's for the best. It makes for an experience, if nothing else. Um, But uh, please just remain healthy wherever you are. Keep doing what you're doing. Practice social distancing. I know here in Nebraska, we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit early Uh, as our cases begin to rise, uh, mostly due to uh, enhanced testing, increased testing, um, we are starting to reopen businesses. um, And uh, that might be problematic in the future, I guess we'll see. Um, But, uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, I know that We're now uh, removing the 10-person order that we had in Nebraska uh, for, like, um, basically, like, social gatherings, uh, and we're moving that to 25. So we're starting to see um, the states kind of grasp uh, for any sense of normalcy. You know, a lot of it um, is, is just simply based on keeping the economy running. Um, but you know, at the expense of what, uh, we don't know yet, but, um, I have an inclination, uh, just a small one that we'll find out soon enough what the cost is for that because there is a cost for everything. There is an opportunity cost for everything and, uh, we will soon find out what that is, uh, for reopening too soon. So can't wait for that. And, you know, and if there isn't, um... There might not be, but I highly doubt it. Uh, but if there isn't, then uh, credit to them for, uh, you know, getting things started back up early. But uh, I doubt that because um, we've already seen here anyway, um, Omaha struggling with bed capacity. Um, I know my sister works for one of the hospitals here as an RN. And they have her floating on the COVID-19 floor um, in the ICU. And uh, from what she's told me, um Every day they get more and more people in there, and uh, it's more and more likely that they're going to run out of equipment and, um, you know, just betting for for all those individuals who are coming in sick. So that's what we were concerned about. It wasn't necessarily the fatality rate, although, you know, we're nearing 100,000 at this point in the United States, and I have a feeling that, you know, we're only going to continue to see that rise as we're trying to reopen things, um, you know, too soon. But, uh, you know, our fatality rate is one thing. Um, Obviously, we're concerned about that, and we want to make sure that we keep that number low, too. Uh, But the main concern was the hospitals and um, making sure that they had enough equipment, PPE, bedding, uh, you know, ventilators, everything like that to make sure that they had enough for everyone that was coming in and to not be overwhelmed. And uh, we're starting to see Omaha get a little bit overwhelmed. Um, might have to, I know that there's a couple different um, couple different state reps, you know, um, proposing getting shipments in from some of the bigger cities that have seen a decrease, like New York, for instance. Uh, New York City has seen... A pretty, uh, you know, tremendous drop off. I think they're down to less than a hundred or around a hundred per day now uh, that are getting admitted. Um, so, like, I, you know, we're heading in the right direction in some parts of the country, but other parts uh, hasn't fully hit us yet. So, um, you know, just uh, keep everyone in your thoughts and uh, be safe, be healthy, and uh, we'll get through this. So, with all that being said. Um, there's nothing really right off the top I necessarily want to talk about. Today we're going to cover a few different things that I'm really excited to talk about. We're going to cover um, some COVID stuff related to the filmmaking process. We're just going to touch on that a little bit because no one truly knows what that's going to look like. We've, um, you know, had some movies say that they're going to, you know, begin shooting in the next couple of weeks uh we've had some new reports on what the estimated cost of all this is going to be so i want to touch on some of that when we come back um we have also got hbo max which is in uh the news a lot lately and for a good reason and then uh we've got some horror news um specifically with casting on scream 5 so can't wait to talk about that and then we've also got one review later in the show but until then um enjoy this short little ad read from myself uh because um you know we obviously don't have any sponsors or anything yet so I figured what a better way uh to kind of split the show up a little bit make it a little bit more efficient for me especially now since I can't talk for a whole 30 minutes to an hour straight like this I would practically die so we're gonna split it up enjoy this ad read from me and everyone here at the Into the Borough Podcast and the Borough Reviews. If you'd like to support the Borough Reviews or the Into the Borough Podcast, please consider signing up for a monthly subscription or even making a one-time donation through our Patreon campaign. Our Patreon offers three distinct tiers. Candyman, a $1 a month subscription to simply offer your support. It Follows, a $2 a month subscription to get early access to videos. And finally, Hereditary, which is a $5 a month subscription for exclusive videos and all of the other tier perks. During these times, it is crucial for us to remain sustainable, and with your help, we can get there. Head over to patreon.com slash your movie refuge. The latest news from last week. Hollywood is hoping that film shoots, shuttered more than two months ago because of the coronavirus, will resume as early as mid-June. But once production gets going, there will be a new line item on studio budgets, COVID-19 prevention. Studios and production companies will have to hire additional personnel such as health and safety experts and sanitation crews. They'll need to pay for additional equipment for cleaning sets, washing hands and checking temperatures, work will go slower, and shoots will go longer. All of that adds up on the ledger. Studio execs have been talking internally about how to manage costs by reducing spending in other areas, such as international travel, which will be challenging anyway in the current environment. Some say they'll be able to adapt with smaller crews and cast. Companies may even boost efforts to lobby state officials for expanded tax incentives that would allow more movies to shoot in California specifically. This comes on the heels of states beginning to reopen. Does anyone remember a little movie called Justice League? Well, the long-rumored Snyder Cut of director Zack Snyder's Justice League is very much real and it will be streaming on HBO Max as an exclusive in 2021. It's not clear yet what form the Snyder's version of the movie will take. Apparently, the director and Deborah Snyder are still determining whether the director's cut will be released as a nearly four-hour film or divided up into a six-series part, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The cost of producing the new cut, which will include re-editing the film, scoring new music, and redoing and adding new visual effects, is said to be between 20 and $30 million. HBO Max offers its first look at some of the horror movies you will be able to find on HBO Max when the platform launches tomorrow, the 27th of May. You have Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, so you get your little alien fix there. They also have a vast variety of Nightmare on Elm Street films, including the original, Freddy's Revenge, Dream Warriors, Dream Master, and Dream Child. You have other hits, like my personal favorite, Deep Blue Sea. Uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Friday the 13th, you have a vast selection of Godzilla movies, Carnival of Souls, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, you have the 2019 version of Hellboy as well as It Chapter 2, Jaws, Jaws 2 and Jaws 3D, Little Shop of Horrors, the very classic Night of the Living Dead, Scary Movie 3, Shutter Island, The Blob, The Meg, (laughs) And then you also have Us and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And again, you can currently pre-order a subscription to HBO Max for $11.99 a month. The service launches on Wednesday, May 27th, and for those listening on Tuesday. That's tomorrow, folks, so get on it. Two-time Golden Globe winning actress and filmmaker Jamie Lee Curtis and her Comet Pictures label have signed a three-year first-look deal with Blumhouse in both the film and TV arena, Deadline has learned. Already, Comet and Blumhouse have a feature horror project underway, Mother Nature, which is centered around climate change. Curtis is directing and she is co-writing with Comet Pictures' head of film and TV development, Russell Goldman, who is recently named to The Post. Here's a quote from her. Quote, I'm 61 and my motto is now, if not now, when, if not me, who? I'm excited to have a creative home to explore my own ideas and others. Jason and his team have made me feel welcome. Common is ready to bring these stories to screen life, Jamie Lee Curtis tells Deadline. In other horror-related news, we've got good news for the Scream franchise. So we learned a little while ago that Spyglass Media Group was rebooting it. And we didn't know if it was a reboot, if it was a sequel, if it was a soft reboot but we have more information on that now. David Arquette is set to rep- reprise his role as Sheriff Dewey Riley in Spyglass Media Group's feature relaunch of Scream. The actor played the role in all four picks of the 24 year old franchise. Arquette said, quote, I am thrilled to be playing Dewey again and to reunite with my Scream family old and new. Scream has such a big part of my life and for both the fans and myself, I look forward to honoring Wes Craven's legacy. Spyglass says that talks are underway to bring back more legacy cast members to the fifth Scream installment. Feature production will begin later this year in Wilmington, North Carolina, when safety protocols are in place. While plot details are under wraps, Nev Campbell teases her return in the upcoming sequel as well. Quote, Well, I'm not 100% on it, but to be honest, the two directors have made some great work. I've watched their films, and they've really talented They wrote me a letter expressing what great fans of Wes Wes Craven's work they are and how honored they are that they are getting the chance to make Scream 5 because the Scream franchise is the reason that they're directors now. So that was really sweet. They really want to honor Wes's style of work and honor the movies. That was a really lovely thing to hear. So we'll see, hopefully we can all see eye to eye on everything and make something great, but it's a process. Campbell also seemed to indicate that the next Scream film would be in fact a sequel and not a reboot, by sharing some of her feelings about where her character Sidney Prescott would be in the 21st century. And that concludes your last week's news update. Hey, did you know that we have our own YouTube channel? There, we upload video reviews of the latest television shows or movies, and even some Let's Plays. Lately, we have been focused heavily on our curated horror content. But, we have a goal to get to 100 subscribers by the end of the year, and it would mean everything to the team to reach our goal. Simply search The Borough Reviews on YouTube, and make sure to subscribe and ring the bell if you enjoy the content. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. So let's begin first with the Cost of COVID-19 article um, that is from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, the article title is um, Coronavirus is going to make the film shoots more expensive. Here's how just in case you want to read it for yourself. Um, but experts and executives estimate that the enhanced cleaning and staffing coronavirus prevention could add more than $1 million to a typical movie budget. On top of that, Um, staggered shifts for crew meant to minimize the number of people on set could stretch what would normally be an eight-week shooting schedule to as many as 10 or 12 weeks that would be be significant um, in the increase for expenses on major projects um, which could cost up to 400,000 a day to make already Um, so this is a pretty large uh, ticket um, if you will uh, for studios and for filmmakers Um, we're going to have to adapt. Uh, Unfortunately, the coronavirus has made certain that moving forward, there's going to be a new normal, and things aren't going to be exactly the same. So now you have to account for, um, you know, all these new cleaning procedures and also, uh, you know, set schedule procedures, which um, have not been really in effect at all, in film history maybe you know staggered during different pandemics here and there Um, but this one seems to be a little bit different seems to be a little bit more permanent Uh, now I do want to touch on the fact that um, one million might not sound like a lot if we're talking about a big studio blockbuster um, such as Justice League or you know uh, an Avengers movie or even you know something like a James Bond film but um, what that one million dollars will do to smaller sets, to indie film sets, uh, will be um, kind of catastrophic in some cases. You know, uh, it might make or break um, a film. You know, I know a lot of studios are going to probably tighten what they green light as far as scripts um, and production goes, and so this is going to create a whole mess, and especially. We've got that war now with with the movie theaters and Universal um, over streaming rights and theatrical releases, so uh, the movie industry uh, took a big hit from this pandemic, and I certainly hope that we can recover it at some point, um, but it's not looking up. Um, Crew members will also, quote, work shorter days because people are more susceptible to illness when they're exhausted. The industry may move to so-called French hours in which crew members work up to 10 hours on set instead of pulling 14-hour days, um, which would also extend the length of shoots. So it's going to be different going forward, and um, it might be harder, but again, we will all get through this together. Next, uh, we had the Snyder Cut. Um, The Snyder Cut has been in the making for a very long time. Basically, people were wondering where the Snyder Cut was when that movie, you know, was released. Um, And even before that, when Zack Snyder, you know, parted ways with the project, you know, everyone was hoping that we would get it back then, too. So... Um, Snyder originally stepped away from Justice League after the death of his daughter, and Warner Brothers um, brought in director Joss Whedon to help complete um, and kind of oversee reshoots of the film. Uh, Snyder seemed amicable at first, but uh, once the movie was released in November of 2017, fans took issue with Whedon's lighter, more comedic contributions to the film. A campaign started not long after the film's initial release for Warner Brothers to, quote, deliver a Snyder cut. In the nearly three years since then, release the Snyder Cut has developed into a full-force campaign from fans around the world. Online petitions were launched, public demonstrations were held outside Warner Brothers Studio in Burbank, um, and Times Square ads were taken out in New York City. Some Snyder Cut campaigning had been positive— um but you know of course you're always going to have those toxic fan bases online on twitter on other social media platforms um that are going to be toxic uh and it's going to be like a toxic bubble for you know the next few years um and especially you know when you get fans that are excited to see something from a director that they really like um especially you know, a project on the scale of something like a Justice League, um, it makes sense that you're going to have a little bit of uh, backlash. Um, the <laughs> the The article that I'm reading from, by the way, is from The Verge, and it uh, the title of it is The Snyder Cut of Justice League is Coming to HBO Max in 2021. I will link all of these articles in the description so you can read for yourself too. Um, but there is an interesting part here that I would like to pick up, Um, Quote, the bigger conversation releasing the Snyder Cut brings up, however, um, is about fan entitlement, one that's similar to a situation the gaming industry saw in 2013 with Mass Effect 3 um, in the age of growing toxicity. Uh, Now, I do agree, kind of mildly, that we have become more toxic, and I don't necessarily think it's because we've become more toxic. I think our thoughts and our external, um, not even our external, but just how we present ourselves, how we carry ourselves, uh, has become a little bit different with the presence of social media and the online world, right? Um, everyone's just a little bit more externalized about their feelings and about their thoughts. And there's a lot of negativity online. Sure, uh, I don't think the negativity necessarily has grown out from social media. But I do think that social media has given that toxicity, that negativity, a platform and a pretty accessible platform where you don't really have to see anyone. So, um, Now, the reason why I wanted to bring up Mass Effect 3 is the ending of that movie caused a huge giant stink in the gaming industry from a beloved franchise. Now, I love that franchise, and Mass Effect 3 I still think is a really good game other than its last act. But um, beyond that, like uh, it, it just brings up the question about are we going to let fans dictate what kind of films are put in the theater, in the cinema, uh, what kind of films are greenlit, because if that's the case, we're about to see a shrinkage in creativity. And um, that's what I kind of worry about. Um, you know, it's right to have opinions. It's it's right, and and it's okay. It's valid. You're valid in your opinion, you know, even if it's a negative opinion towards something, that's totally valid. Um, but what I don't want to see happen is filmmakers bend to the will of the fans and not take those creative decisions and risks for themselves. So hopefully that's not the case, uh, moving forward, but you know, I guess time will tell folks. Next up, uh, we had that HBO max list, uh, of horror films. And the reason I wanted to kind of get that out there is because we have been more of like a horror focused channel and, um, yeah, HBO max is a big deal. You guys, uh, so HBO Max has the rights, the exclusive rights to friends. Um, you know, many people thought that when Disney plus was launched, that it would compete directly with Netflix. And I didn't, I I thought maybe for a second that it would. And then I saw how fast people lost interest after the Mandalorian. I even lost interest in Disney plus during the Mandalorian. I didn't necessarily care to see anything after the Mandalorian. And, um, and I still don't. So until they start putting like some of the Avengers shows on there, um, some of the Marvel, you know, content, I'm not really watching Disney Plus. Um, don't get me wrong, it's a great service and I appreciate it being here. Um, but it kind of has shown why it's $7.99 and not 14.99 like a Netflix. Um, so that's just my opinion on that. It's kind of a steaming hot take. But the reason I bring that up is HBO Max will directly compete with Netflix. And if they can start producing their own original content as well, um, which they will, uh, because it's HBO we're talking about here, um, it will be competing with Netflix. The only thing that it might not be able to uh, handle is the amount of, um, is the, simply the amount, the quantity of original content that they're putting out. Just because Netflix is spending a lot of money, going into a lot of debt to do what they're doing. But um, their subscriber base is still growing. So that's good on Netflix. Um, but I seriously recommend checking out HBO Max if you're not an HBO subscriber. Um, they're doing a really cool deal where for like 12 bucks a month um, for the first year is your promotional price. And that's uh, amazing, considering that I pay about 16 right now, 15 16 for my HBO Now. So it's a really good deal. You get the whole Friends library and uh, all of those juicy goodies that we have for horror movies on there. So I highly recommend that you check it out at least. Okay, now I want to talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, so, she's directing something. Uh, that is so exciting for her, and I'm really happy because... It seems that, you know, she didn't want to do another Halloween movie after Halloween Resurrection, and I understand why. That movie was complete garbage, and um, and the script just was awful. It stank. It It was rotten. Um, and she decided that she didn't want to do the franchise anymore. It was kind of tired. There was no creative risks being taken um, other other than killing her off, if you can even call that a risk, because she didn't want to do the film. Um, but, uh, you know, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride somehow got her to come back for a soft reboot of the Halloween franchise where she seemed to be really, really happy. And that's good because for her at her age, um, as she said in her quote, she's 61 and she's wondering when... She'll be able to do the things that she's probably always wanted to do, but never had the actual nerve to do. And I've seen her; I follow her on Twitter, and a lot of her tweets um, also give credit to Ryan Johnson for giving her the opportunity to have that expression in in the latest uh, Ryan Johnson film, *Knives Out*. Um, and so she just seems to be at this point where she's being creatively fulfilled and now we've got this climate change horror movie coming from her and I couldn't be more excited especially since Blumhouse loves to give their filmmakers kind of their own creative reign on it um and you know I don't know how twisted it's going to be I don't know if it's going to be um you know uh, more gory I don't know if we're going like a PG-13 route I don't know if we're going a rated R route But whatever it is I am super excited to see what she does Because at this point, let's be honest She she deserves it Um But we've also got more horror news And that's like It's like Scream, y'all It's, it's Scream, you know what's coming Um, we're gonna talk about it for a little bit here Before my voice completely gives out Um But, you know, like, I am super excited for this now. And um, it's not like I wasn't excited about it before. It's just I was kind of apprehensive to the fact that we didn't know what was going on with it and that they were keeping details very secretive. I don't know if Nev Campbell is going to return. um, Because she's doing all these press tours and she's talking about it more and more and she's even open to the idea of doing it. I kind of think that they're going to get her back, at least partly. Um, you know, she didn't want to do Scream 3, so she didn't really have a huge role in Scream 3. She didn't want to do Scream 4, so she kind of took a back seat. And that's okay. Like, we don't need her to carry the film, but it's not going to feel like Scream without her. So even if they do her justice, if they do a Halloween resurrection moment where they kill her off, I don't want it to be right at the beginning, right? Like, I don't want them to do a Scream 3 Cotton Weary instance where, you know, someone that we've grown to actually kind of like is killed off like right away. I would rather them, you know, do it in kind of a heroic way, as her character has always been presented as, you know, um, not take not taking the cheap route with it. So if they do that as a way to kind of reboot the franchise, make way, you know, uh, for the old cast to kind of hand over the baton to the new cast, um, that's really what I'm hoping for here. David Arquette, I knew for sure if they were going to ask the, quote, legacy cast members to return, I knew that David Arquette would be the most likely to return as he talks about the franchise frequently. But we've also had, like, Matthew Lillard recently, who played Stu in the first screen, talk about how he would love to return. Um, I know Jamie Kennedy has a deep love for the franchise. I don't know what they're doing. Um, but I would, I would like them to maybe consider the possibility of, you know, kind of towing the line between nostalgia and creativity in the fact of like, if you are going to bring back all of these legacy cast members, do it in a way that's cool. That's a little bit hip, a little bit meta, keep the blood of the franchise the same, but you know, um, maybe teach the old dog new tricks, uh, and if it works, it works. I really like Scream 4. I'm sad that the box office didn't really show uh, how much people liked that film. But I think it's a worthy installment, and that opening sequence is brilliant in Scream 4. So if they can just keep up that energy, I think they'll be fine here. And with the news of Nev Campbell possibly returning and with David Arquette possibly returning... Um, they actually were trending on Twitter for quite some time. And that was really exciting. Um, and plus guys, I need something to wash out. I need something to wash out the horrible taste of VH1's season three of Scream the TV series, because like that was so bad. It was so bad. Um, The first couple of seasons weren't too bad, but the third season really trashed it, and I don't see how, because they had Roger Jackson doing the voice of Scream of Ghostface, and they had the original Mask. I don't understand how you fucked that up so badly, but they did. Um, So I'm hoping that Scream 5 from these two Ready or Not directors will give us the Scream movie that the fans deserve, and... Hopefully, it will honor uh, Wes Craven's legacy because, after all, it's his franchise. Kevin Williamson has, you know, given the blessing he's executive producing the the actual movie. I don't think he's having any writing credits or anything like that. Uh, His quote is, uh, I'm excited to reteam with David and work with Jamie, Guy, and Radio Silence on the next Scream. Their take on the movie is both original, inventive, and honors Wes's legacy in a wonderful way. Ready or Not was my favorite horror film of last year, and I can't wait to see what their amazing talents bring to the Scream universe. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. So, he's enthusiastic about it, um, and that quote came from The rap. Um, and I'm surprised that Williamson, after Wes Wes's passing, like even wants to do anything with the franchise. You know, uh, even though he's not writing it, he's still producing it, and he's still talking talking really positively about about the movie in general. So um, hopefully that all bodes well, and we get an amazing movie. the um, The shooting is supposed to begin this year, so we could be seeing this as late 2021, maybe right around October, of course, that would come into contact with um, Halloween ends, and I don't know that you want to pit two horror movies up against each other like that, um, but uh, if it does happen like that, I'll see them both, but I'm just not sure that everyone else will, but I, I, I would rather them not, you know, eat, eat, eat away at each other at the box office if at all possible, so we'll see. When the time comes, um, we'll see, you know, what uh, Radio Silence gives us, so we'll see. And then, um, there's one more thing that I wanted to do here on this podcast. So, um, I'm going to take a quick drink. Give me just a second. Do, 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 do. Because you heard me struggling there for the last couple of minutes, I know. Um, I wanted to talk about a Netflix movie that I watched. So real quick, Just to preface this, I haven't reviewed anything necessarily other than short films for the past couple of months, Um, and there's a very good reason for that. I've been busy uh, with school, and school ended, and then, you know, I've taken the month of May to just kind of sit back and, like, get my priorities straight, get my routine back on track, um, because this quarantine has has kind of fucked up everything that I was trying to work on before. Um, and trying to accomplish, so we're getting back on track now, and I, I'm really excited for it, I am. Uh, but I haven't necessarily reviewed any movies or anything like that, and I thought I would change it with this little movie that came out on the 1st of May on Netflix, directed by Alice Wu, the half of it. So, without further ado, let me jump into that review. I'm a rhyming wizard. Now. Don't think I would let you off that easy without at least one more ad read. The good news, though, I'm simply trying to tell you about our website, TheBoroughReviews.com. We have plenty of articles and reviews for you to read as you ponder your existence during these trying times. Like indie reviews? We got them. Do you like blockbuster reviews? We got those too. And are you a Nebraska local looking for a review of your latest project? We got you. Simply search TheBoroughReviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. If you have a short or a feature film you'd like to submit for review, use the About Contact page to fill out the form. Not every submission will be accepted, but it is always worth a shot, and it is at no charge to you either. And we accept submissions from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. So let's get into it. The half of it, directed by Alice Wu, who also wrote the film, keep in mind. Um, I didn't know what to expect from this movie, mainly just because it came out at the beginning of May, and uh, I don't watch a lot of Netflix original um, you know, curated content, uh, just because most of it seems very streamlined, seems um, very reminiscent of each other, and playing off each other using the same actors for instance Noah Centennial Um, so you know I I just take them with a grain of salt Uh, they're not bad and I don't usually uh, hate them necessarily it's more just uh, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it when I could be at the theater watching something extraordinary like The Portrait of a Lady on Fire or like um, Parasite for instance um, those are the movies that I typically go to, but obviously the theaters are closed down, so what else am I gonna do? Don't hate me. Um, the half of it has a 74 on Metascore. Let me check what the Rotten Tomato score is right now. I can't imagine it is too high, to be honest with you, but I also don't think it necessarily has a bad score. Holy shit. Okay, the half of it has a 96 on the tomato meter and that is not what i'm giving it uh just let me let me be clear about that um and then it has an 81% for an audience score so that's interesting um it's a really slow quiet movie um it uses diegetic sound so the sound is coming from the sound is coming from the actual film Um, in other words, so it's taking the music and the music is coming from inside of the film. It's not, you know, and it's not an overlay. It's not a sample that they're using, um, to kind of set the mood or anything like that. Um, so it's a very quiet movie, which is different from most Netflix movies, especially like those EDM ones, you know, those DJ ones where they have just like insane EDM playing in the background all the time. It's not like that. So, um... Yeah, uh, the diegetic sound kind of um, is different for Netflix, and I applaud them for, you know, actually giving Swoo and the music department here, like, that creative decision um, and not, like, leaving it up to them. So that's one thing that Netflix has going for them. You know, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier with Blumhouse, but uh, when a studio is able to give their filmmakers creative control, like, good things come out of it, and I feel like some of the slower moments here kind of drag the story down a little bit. Um, it can be a little bit dull at times, but also there are some really, really sweet moments in here. And uh, that's not to be taken for granted because sometimes it can be really sweet. And then other times uh, you you just absolutely can't stand Paul's character uh, like at all um, because he's dumb. He's just dumb. Uh, and not dumb in, like, a like a bad way, either. He just, um, he's going for Aster, uh, played by Alexis Lemire, who, um, Aster is way out of Paul's league. And um, Daniel Dimer does, you know, good with what he's given, but the script material for him makes him unlikable for a majority of the movie. And then when they try and bring it back in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work as well as it could have. How do you tone down the beginning? Because it seemed like it seemed like too much happening at one time with his character. He would um, make mistakes. You know, his social anxiety is so high. And yet uh, this really popular, cool girl, Aster, is still talking to him, still accepting his dates. Um, and she is not piecing it together at all that it's not him doing these things. Um, light spoiler warning, I'm not going to like go into the end or anything. Um, but I thought that some of the sweeter moments didn't come from the trio here, Uh, and let me just say, Leo Lewis does, uh, who plays Ellie Chu, um, does an amazing job here uh, with her portrayal of her character, and especially her relationship with her father, who, um, you know, is really depressed, and he sees the same qualities in her that he sees in himself, and he just wants her to be free and express herself. And uh, there's one particular scene with her father and um, with uh, Daniel Dimer's character, Paul, uh, the main um, you know male protagonist, if you will, in the movie, um, that is so sweet, and uh, some of it's spoken in Mandarin. And, um, you know, there are subtitles in this film, Uh, They're few and far between, but uh, you can really tell that Alice Wu has a knack for cinema, and she has that that love, that passion that it takes to be a creative director like this. Um, Just the numerous references to other films and nods and winks. Um, The train station is a marvelous touch, and one that is really really the heart of film, if you think about it, because you can go back to, you know, some of the first films, uh, The Train Arriving at, at, at the Station, for instance, where, um, you know, it was the first time, one of the first times where moving images were presented to an actual audience, and the audience got scared, because they thought the train was coming through the screen at them. Um, because, you know, you, you don't know what you're seeing, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, And, uh, you know, well, I guess it would be kind of late 19th, early 20th century, right around that time. Um, But she has this kind of delicate touch for giving nods and winks back to, to films past, but not actually forcing it down your throat. So it's very subtle in its filmmaking and in its nostalgia. And that I can really appreciate, and especially for a Netflix movie where, you know, some people might not be familiar with uh, film history at all. It's kind of a nice way to bridge the gap between past and present. Um, so, that's one aspect of it that I really did like. Um, and again, the diegetic music um, is a fabulous choice, uh, but oftentimes there would be long periods without any dialogue, which I do adore. Um, but the silence is kind of deafening in some instances and uh, it seems a little dull. Um, outside of that, like, I do recommend that you watch it just because we need to show Netflix that it's okay to kind of take risks with some of their movies. Um, they're probably not, they're probably not hating it too much right now just because of its Rotten Tomatoes score. But, uh, I do encourage you to check it out. It's a sweet little movie. Don't necessarily like uh, a lot of the character knacks that they give, um, the trio, Uh, it has a lot of religious undertones, a lot of existential questioning about whether or not, um, you know, God put us here for a specific reason. And is this right or wrong? It's a very, uh, moral movie in that sense of like, am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? And it's also an LGBTQ plus movie, which, um, always is, you know, welcomed and, um, appreciated, especially for, you know, LGBTQ critics. And, um, you know, I always appreciate seeing those things. And it, again, the subtlety here, it, it's not explicitly in your face, um, talking about, you know, gay themes, uh, gay rights, things like that. Um, but it is a part of the movie. And the movie and Alice Wu and the screenplay, for that matter, treat it uh, with dignity and with respect and with the the base that um, this is just the reality. This is how people are born. This is how things are. Um, And, you know, a decision made at the end with Aster's character um, and Alice Chu's, you know, and Alice Chu, who's the main protagonist played by Leia Lewis. uh, I do believe that that relationship is so sweet and so pure, even though things might not go, like, according to plan. Um, I appreciate the subtlety in presenting their characters as um, opposites and so that's all I'm going to say about that it's kind of hard to skirt around the edges without talking about the actual film but um, I do appreciate the movie and again the half of it you can check it out on Netflix it's streaming right now a lot of people like it Um, and so just show Netflix that uh, they can make good shit when they want um, but that's about all I have for this episode of the Into the Borough podcast. I've been at it for quite a while at this point. Um, just recording and re-recording, doing some ad reads, things like that. So, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to our feed, uh, wherever you get, wherever you get your podcasts. If you get them on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Play, any of those, it really does help the show. Um, and it helps, like, let me know that I'm doing a good job at these things. Uh, you know, share it with your family, with your friends that like film, like TV, uh, anything like that. Like streaming even. Obviously, I just covered a streaming movie. Um, maybe I'll make uh, this streaming segment a part of the show going forward um, since I don't necessarily explicitly talk about, um, you know, actual, like, uh, theater theatrical releases, limited or wide on the podcast very often maybe i will include this little streaming segment in here where we talk about some things that are new this week on streaming and then maybe review one or two of those especially when um i get another host on here so that's one thing that we're kind of looking at but um yeah guys until next time check out our patreon check out our youtube like and subscribe check out our website all of that Um, and then, you know, uh, come back for the next show. Uh, I can't wait to see you there.